delightfully Victorian tales of love and terror. It's a mouthful of a title. Initially, I decided to create this anthology because I have a lot of short stories. Some of them may or may not end up being made and actually uh, produced, but uh, we'll, we'll see about that when that time comes. For now, I have started with the first two, and I'm going to talk about them and possible plans for the future. If I were to go in chronological order, I would have started with Golden Eyes because I wrote this story when I was in middle school. I think I was between 12 to 11. Then I would have The Handy Tale, which I wrote in high school, and then Lucerio, which was like towards the end. Actually, before those, around the time where I was writing The Other Side Story, I wrote Silver Spoon. I'm starting with Lucerio because I made a comic out of it many, many years ago to enter a competition. I uh, was supposed to create this story with a certain format, send it over with a piece of acetate over to establish where the dialogues would be. And then I prepared the whole thing, gave it to my dad, and he never sent it. I found the package hidden in his, in his desk uh, a few years ago. And when I look at it, I realized that maybe it was because the photocopy were that great. And it was like, nah, I'm going to send that. I'm not going to send that. Or because um, he just forgot. I mean, my dad was like that. His life was very, very busy. He was a policeman. So that thing never saw the light of day outside of my own little head. I did post a copy of it on DeviantArt some time ago. I'm not sure if I still keep it there in scraps or if I completely deleted it. But I decided to replace it with a new one. And the story more or less goes the same way where... Uh, funny pranks uh, Ellen too much. Ellen gets tired, gets uh, in in um, in a plot with her uncle, auntie, whoever, to get Richard to play as Lucerio and scare her to death and so on. But the ending is quite different. The ending was very traditional. He plays macho and he's all like, I'm going to marry you if I have to kick every single door in Ireland. And the story did end right after Ireland with the two of them getting married and people acknowledging her as Lucerio. Over the years, I decided that that was not a realistic ending. Clearly, I was very, very young when I wrote this story. And I really wanted to look more at what the life of female authors during Victorian times was. I mean, most of the time, they had to write under a pseudonym or publish under their husband's names. They weren't paid as much as male authors, except for some exceptions who are now completely totally forgotten like the jk rowlings of the time we don't even know who they are and yet they were super popular back then so i thought about oh let's let's talk about that Let, let's show someone who was super duper popular and got to publish under the female pen name and then maybe we have forgotten this lucerio person is gone and really existed but in general i wanted to show how unfair life was for this girl who liked to write horror stories and wasn't taken seriously even by the her own publisher if you want uh, good thing that richard was her agent and took care of her eventually i wanted also uh, show other things that happened during those victorian times it's like how easily people will get sick and how interesting it was that they would get better the moment they move away from England 
And it was mostly because Victorian homes were full of poisons and they didn't even know that their wallpaper was full of arsenic and stuff. But, I mean, even children's toys coated with lead all over, so they were killing their own children. The moment they moved to uh, the south of Europe, you know, the fresh air, the sunny disposition of the place will mostly take care of almost anything. Almost, I would say, because the moment you will step in Naples, you'll find the cholera outbreak there, maybe, and then that was it. So I decided for Naples because the whole Luceria story is connected to one writer, Teofil Gautier. Now, between the age of 16 and 17, I was obsessed with Teofil Gautier. Um, Horror stories from Victorian age in general, not gothic like Anne Radcliffe or the Castle of Dolfo, the Mystery of Dolfo, you know, those kind of things. Even though I read all those, no, I mean the Phantom of the Opera, the, the ghostly, the vampires, Frankenstein, all of those kind of things that represent the archetype to current monster the way we know them. So Teofil Gautier was one of my favorites uh, because he had a lot of very nice short stories, one of which was about this ghost girl falling in love with this guy. And this guy falling in love with her ghost. I mean, he realizes that, that this girl had been looking at him from afar and died before he ever got a chance to meet her. He had a lot of very interesting stories, like the, the one of... The ghost lady, uh, another ghost lady, uh, falling in love with the guy and going to visit him at night, um, which was the inspiration for the final story of Fanny when she says, and then the ghost lady comes and visits our protagonist in the middle of the night. But in general, I thought that these are the kind of ghost story that people would tell each other on Christmas Eve, because Christmas Eve was really about horror stories and ghost stories in the past. That's why Charles Dickens wrote, you know, uh, Christmas carols. Because it was really common to tell ghost stories on Christmas Eve to people. There are many interesting archetypes that were lost over the centuries, like Melma the Wanderer, or uh, the actual um, Flying Dutchman legends. You know, I, I believe that none of you has ever read The Ghost Ship. I don't think it's very easy to find. But me, I went and looked for all of those things. I prefer the original Gaston Leroux Phantom of the Opera to any other adaptation, even though I'm a huge fan of the musical. And I always like all the strange little details that represented horror back then. So that what, that's what got me interested into writing this kind of story, like they go to a cemetery where they're supposed to see a Sabbath of people that's supposed to scare them. And actually people back then were into going to cemetery, tracing over tombstone. They would collect this paper with the tracing of the tombstones. Quite, quite morbid if you ask me, but very interesting. 
So I want Tiffany to be the daughter of her time, and I wanted to have this kind of story that it's like from the the opera where the father goes and pays the woman to stay away from his son. Like if you watch the Traviata, you will see Alfredo's father going to Violetta and paying her off to stay away from Alfredo because she's ruining his life. And people kept catching tuberculosis and dying. So Violetta dies of tuberculosis. Mimi in, from the Bohème dies of tuberculosis. And I thought, wow, this is such an interesting trope and I want them to be children of their time where this kind of drama happens. So maybe I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna have the father paint the woman to stay away from the son and then, but she's not gonna catch tuberculosis this time around. I'm gonna give it to Richard. So he's gonna be my Violetta and my Mimi. So I start putting in all of these things that fascinates me, they belong to the time. So the heroine uh, dying of tuberculosis, uh, the father paying off the woman to stay away from the son. You're corrupting his life. It's very uh, Dame of Camellia, if, if you know, right, the, the Lady of the Camellies is written by uh, Alexandre Mas uh, Jr. The second one, ah, the son of the guy who wrote The Three Musketeers, wrote this one about the lady of the camellias that was basically a high-class prostitute and stuff. It's based literally on his own personal experience. Like, Dumas' father went and paid off this woman to stay away from the son and stuff, right? Like, literally. And uh, the To Feel Gautier was... This precious gift that Richard gives to Fanny, it's autographed to Richard and he gives it to her. How romantic is that? But in all this, right, you can tell that Fanny is not of age, so she's a classy teenager in a way. Richard is older, he's already working with her father, so he's over 21, definitely. And this is how... Uh, when they run away together, the responsibility falls on him being on age, he, of age. He's the one who kidnapped her, even though it's the other way around. So interestingly enough, uh, 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 Richard's father gives her enough money to buy a whole house. She's like the most paid author in the world at the moment. Like this is how badly he wants her out of Richard's life. And virtually he manages to basically get the opposite. Um, he convinces her to go and snatch him away. On one hand, because uh, she hears that he's sick and she wants to go and rescue him and take him to a place where the air is better. And on the other hand, because I think she needs closure, she's that kind of girl. That's when Richard realizes she never did receive his letters. He never received hers either. The father, you know, stop all, all correspondence from coming through. And she still went for him to save him. So he's very grateful for that. Then I thought, okay, so I'm going to bring them to Capri because it's a cool place with a lot of very mm, interesting villas that were built around that time. And because before that time, Capri wasn't very popular, it became popular mm, mostly after the 19th century. 
And I thought, oh man, but that area there is a place that Fanny would love because there's so many legends between Naples and Capri, so many gates to hell uh, that she would want to see and explore. And Naples has this church that is the church of purgatory with this creep catacomb whereby you climb, climb, descend under the church and you see all the skull line up and there's this skull of this girl that you pray to so that you can find a husband. And they say that if while you pray to her, she sweats or something like that, then she's listening to you. In general, the whole subterranean Naples is full of catacombs with bones lined up and skulls piled up one on top of each other, which is really fascinating. And Pompeii is around the area. All of these things linked to this one short story by Gautier called Yetatur. Yetatura uh, is when somebody consume you by just staring at you long enough and being so envious of you that it will consume your life. And the other story by Gautier was also about this guy who manages to time travel and visit Pompeii in all time. So you see, right, my obsession with Gautier is also linked with the fact that he does take a trip to Naples and writes short story about the place. Definitely Fanny, who is a fan of Gautier, would want to go to Naples. How could I miss that the first time I wrote the story? I had to weave it in the second time around, and I did. Now, Gautier also serves as a bridge to Golden Eyes because Gautier wrote Mademoiselle de Maupin, which is the story of a woman who dresses as a man and lives her life as a man. Eventually, she has many lovers, but also mistresses. And it's based on the real life story of a woman who used to do that. Think about George Sand as well and how she led a life manages to sweep Chopin off his feet, even though initially he was really scared of her and tried to escape her, she managed to seduce him in the end. Chopin, another guy who caught tuberculosis, then they decide to travel to get his health better. Unfortunately, George then doesn't pick a very good place for him to get better. Also, their relationship is quite on the stormy side and eventually Chopin dies. Very sad, very talented boy, right? There are many other things that I want to show in the story. Uh, one of which was the Roman carnival, but Golden Eyes takes place too late for that. So I will revisit that in another short story. Golden Eyes is a, has a more of a Georgian setting. Here is where I look more into Thomas Mann's Death in Venice, which if you haven't read, it's a very interesting story because of course it's a story of a pedophile if you want to, who gets obsessed with the beauty of this 12 year old Tazio, yes, that consumes him to death. And it's set during cholera in Venice. This is why the story begins with cholera in Venice. But because uh, Fanny and, and um, 
preacher wear in Naples during the cholera, that's the connection right there too. The cholera in Naples basically inspires her to write a story about a guy in Venice during cholera, which is a little bit like the Simpson predicting things because the cholera in Venice will come many years later. So yeah, that's how funny goes. So in a way, you can see there's a, there's a few hookups between the story. I'm not saying that Golden Eyes is a story written by, by Fanny, but it's something that could she possibly write. I mean, there's a lady buried alive and whose clothes don't get damages or consumer tatter over time, which means that somehow the Baron goes back in there and dresses the skeleton over and over again. That is uh, also inspired by a story of young Alexandruma, which if you never knew, actually did write a few horror stories, including this one called Pauline, which is the story of a woman who gets buried alive and develops post-traumatic syndrome disorder and never recovers from it. Okay, so having said, so there's a lot of uh, connection with literature of the time, as you can see, but... Going back to Golden Eyes, when I wrote Golden Eyes, I was in middle school. And I uh, was at that stage in life where I couldn't tell age of people. So in the initial, in the initial story, I think Drew was 25 and Sibyl was 20. Because that's how old I thought people in soap opera was. Oh, adult must be at least 20 and 25. Clearly, that doesn't work. Uh, I'm not telling you how old Drew and Sibyl are right now, but they're much older, uh, definitely much older. But Sibyl is inspired by, um, by of course, uh, Mademoiselle de Maupin, and she's inspired by George Sand. George Sand was an author, and was one of those authors that was quite popular in her times, I have to say, uh, and quite established, and quite respected, interestingly enough. But I wanted something different from the original story. So let me tell you about that. When I was bored and I didn't know what to do, I would come up with stories. I was about 12 when I wrote Golden Eyes. I think it was during a December break, because I remember spending an evening at my parents' friend's house sitting in a corner writing the story. And everybody was like, oh, she's so quiet. Usually she's so noisy. And I was really engrossed in my stories. So being a kid back then, I think I wrote a lot of chapbooks and things like that. The original Golden Eyes was the most stereotypical story you can think of. It's two rival thieves trying to steal the same diamond. And there's a Scotland Yard, uh, a Scotland Yard inspector trying to um, catch one of them. In the original story, Drew is Golden Eyes and she's this uh, thief called Sam Gray and she has a crush on Golden Eyes without even knowing him and he leaves these gloves with a golden G uh, on the place where the theft takes place as his signature thing and she collects them. I mean, how, how predictable is that? Okay, please uh, understand I was like between 11 to 12. I was really a kid when I wrote that. So 
it was full of cheesy lines too. And it has to do mostly with the fact that my mom watched a lot of soap operas during lunchtime. And I was watching those two, basically. It's good to watch soap opera. It makes you understand what you shouldn't do. Anyways, time passes by. I part this thing. A few years later in university, I rewrite the thing. I change the setting. I push it back in time because it was a modern setting before. And then uh, the story is more or less virtually the same uh, with him pretending to be an idiot, you know, that kind of stuff still has to say, stay, right? It's a very common trope in, th- in thieves, you know, when they pretend to be, oh my God, this is so disgusting. And they pop in candies and pretend they're pills for their headaches and stuff. So that's why, you know, that's what Drew does. Huh? Every now and then he pulls out a little um, sugar candy puts in his mouth and he's like, oh, such a headache. And he pretends to be a total idiot. Possibly that's what dandy were expected to be back then. I'm not sure, but I think so. Because a lot of dandies were all into their clothing and 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 uh, things being proper and pretty. And they were hedonists. That's what it was. That's the term for it, hedonists. They like pretty and beautiful things. And then they turn badass, you know, like change of clothes, put a mask on and ta 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 da 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 you know, something like that. And they will go and steal. And the uh, competition kind of ended when Drew kind of falls in love with this girl and he wants he kind of wants to marry her and then realizes that it's his rival and they both get stuck in the dungeon. I thought it would be more interesting instead to just create a story of of two people who had met before and were trying to reconnect. I'm not sure if Sibo is trying to reconnect. I think that Sibo is someone who has gone through a lot in life and just find comfort in moments. Uh, she has these pockets of happiness and the rest of her life she's trying to probably forget her past and stuff. And Drew is not her priority. But uh, Drew is uh, basically a, kind of like demisexual. You cannot get involved with someone unless he's emotionally involved he, he won't have physical contact with anybody and then on the other hand i wanted to put someone who was the total op- opposite right i know that some of you said that uh, tatsu is a man whore <laughs> sorry that's a bad word uh tatsu is sleeping with anything that breeds as long as um he's loving Tatsuo in return, right? So everybody loves Tatsuo and then Tatsuo will love you. Except uh, Sibyl doesn't love Tatsuo, so Tatsuo doesn't love Sibyl. And Tatsuo is clearly taken from the death in Venice because it's supposed to be the symbol of beauty that will make you die. Lah. And oops, sorry, that was my English sleeping through. Huh? So that's one thing that you don't know about that in Venice. Uh, Lucchino Visconti, this very famous Italian director, made a movie in the 70s based on the movie, on the book, a Thomas Mann book. And these movies look like paintings and they're beautiful. So he hired this Swedish boy to be Tazio. The boy doesn't even know what the movie is about. In fact, when he realized the actor was like scarred for life, and even now he's really upset about the fact that he was so... Uh, you know, like objectified uh, in a pedophile story. But 
the boy is so gorgeous that sends the entire Japan, uh, you know, in a frenzy. And all of those shoujo manga that you see in the 70s with the, with the character with the droopy eyes and the fluffy hair are the perfect depiction, manga style, of this actor. So if you happen to stumble upon Ryoke Keda, you will see that all of her characters look like the actor that played Tatsuo. And basically, this boy is the Bishonen, the good-looking boy that you see in shoujo manga. And there's a bit of connection to that too, because, you know, I thought I would pay homage to Ryoko Keda as well, because I like her very much. Uh, I grew up watching The Rose of Versailles and reading others' comics from her and I really do like the drama in the shoujo manga from the 70s because people really died at the worst moment. Anyways, let's go back to Golden Eyes. I for once wanted to tell a story about siblings and how your sibling is the one person that stays with you throughout your life. So you should cherish them. Hopefully you were dealt a, a good a set of cards by the universe and you landed a very good sibling. But um, it pretty much depends on how your parents raise you. I was lucky enough to have an awesome sister and um, that I have a good relationship with and I keep telling her no matter what you know uh, you'll be there for me your whole life I'll be there for you your whole life actually if you calculate biological existence of a human being like the lifespan a sibling is one person that stays with you the longest your parents leave you when you are starting to age but your sibling will be there and will age with you sure you can say your life companion will do the same, but your life companion gets in your life when you are an adult. So a sibling is with you from your childhood to the moment of your death. And it truly is your uh, soulmate, uh, your life partner, if you want to. That's why uh, if you have been dealt a good uh, card, you know, set of cards from the universe and you have a good sibling, you should share it, cherish them because you that those are the people that you should tandem with and be with your life and keep a good relationship because they are the ones that know you the longest and know you the best because they've seen all versions of you from childhood until you're an old person and this is why i i wanted to show how close drew is to tatsu even though they're half brothers and how how much they care for each other Sibu has a brother too. We only saw him and Pasan. We're gonna see him more in the flashback that has just started. And he's the one guy that we think is Chinese, but he's not. I mean, he's all Chinese, but not completely. And Sibu is dressed in Peranakan clothes, so Southeast Asian traditional clothing, because she's Eurasian. You may have not realized that, but she's, she's not Caucasian. She's Eurasian, means her mom is Chinese. Now her mom is someone who has gone through a lot of rubbish and as a kid she has seen a lot. But eventually uh, she managed to come on top. Alright, so Miss Graham 
is a very interesting kind of characters that decides to live her life as a man because it's easier and because people cannot quite tell if she's a boy or a girl so she's gonna take advantage of that possibly because she's very skinny and scrawny due to the fact that she never fully developed being malnourished as a kid i don't want to tell you too much but i'm not sure we're gonna see all of that it's just uh, something that happened i don't think i want to show you uh, so this relationship between Drew and Silvo is very interesting whereby like he develops an attachment to her whereby she's more of a see you later kind of person and uh, but there was like sort of like a misunderstanding but possibly Silvo was the kind that you know when she said see you later and Drew took off she just went oh well and when he met him again she's like I don't know why you're upset, I don't get it. And does not realize the complexity of the things. I mean, a little bit she does because Tatsio sent her letters of fire, full of hatred, and so on. Now, why I decided to tell this story in non-chronological order? I mean, I could have started from then meeting in Florence and then the whole Nepal story and then splitting and then meeting again i thought that it would be kind of more interesting to enter from the end of this relationship and see if it rekindles in a way i also thought it would be more interesting to have little insert here and there to just keep the suspense high a little longer and uh you know, kind of raise questions here and there. Golden Eyes will sort of go through three chapters where you see the story from three different perspectives. We had an inkling of it when suddenly the narration switched from Drew and went to Silvo standing under the tree trying to figure out if her leg is wor wor working and walking back to the villa, she hears the bang and has to figure out who shot. That was a very strange thing to do because I'm, I'm not giving you an omniscient reader and it's very strange to switch suddenly from Drew to Sibo. It's, it's not a correct way of doing narration. I sort of wanted to draw a pebble in the water because the flashback is all entirely uh, seen through Sibo's eyes and we just started. Mm, you'll see that uh, we'll have maybe a, a third shorter chapter with some of the story told from Tazio's uh, perspective because Tazio is not just a, a beautiful object standing in the background making love uh, to anything that lives, breathes and loves him back. Um, he, he, there is a little more to Tazio than meets the eyes. The next story is going to be the handy tale which I uh, rename into a helping hand and it's the story of a female scientist and something funny happens uh, to, to, to her. It's based on a story that was given to me in high school by my secondary school teacher that had to do with creativity and uh, the, the essay was what if one morning you woke up with a third end, which was so much fun to, to do. When I went to university the second time around for animation, I turned this into a storyboard and got me a very good grade in my Pixar class. And so I thought about revamping it and put a v female as a protagonist uh, because there is something that Fanny says at the end of Lucerio, which has to do with um, 
women only manage, managing to do things because a man agrees to it. So back in the days, uh, how power worked was that someone who owned the power had to be willing to share and give up a little bit to, to women. Uh, and that's how women managed to conquer several things. So it's a sad truth, but I have to say that those men that agreed to it were men that were properly raised by their moms very likely had very powerful mom they were like you know like i'm a powerful woman and the boy is like yes men women can do just as much as men so not a lot of the female scientists were supported by the husbands like marie curie uh, marie curie got a nobel prize because her husband fought for her but the nobel prize was not meant for her at all the husband was like no 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 fellas uh, this is her award just as much as it is mine because this is her discovery is just as much as it is mine, if not more hers than mine. And this is how Marie Curie is remembered, you know. Uh, otherwise, there are many female scientists that um, did not get recognition. And to these days, maybe we are beginning to rediscover these women like like uh, uh, Lord Byron's daughter or the, the, the creator, the discoverer of the Wi-Fi, huh? Uh, who was an actress, by the way, and she was gorgeous, and I had a very stronger crush on her when I was a, when I was a, a, a tiny girl because she was so beautiful. Anyways, having said so, a lot of beautiful women were also very very smart, but um, it was a sad truth, and I wanted to address that a little bit. There will be many other interesting stories which I don't know if I will tackle because, for instance, the Garibaldina. It's written half in Sicilian and it describes the horror of war. So not all terrors have to do with the terror of being women in the Victorian uh, age. It also has to do with literally the, the horror that is men. Um, that is why there is not a lot of supernatural in these stories, but it's literally the most horrifying things that you will see is human behavior. I hope you will enjoy all these short stories as they come along. I think I have enough material for about two, two years of short stories, but we'll see uh, which stories I will tackle and which one I decide not to do in the end because maybe they are not relevant and I would have said everything that I wanted to say in the other story. We'll, we'll, bridge, uh, we'll cross the bridge when it comes. I huh? uh, hope you enjoy today's podcast and I will see you again very soon. If you have more questions please drop them in Discord. Otherwise, I will tackle more details of the current stories as maybe I deem important to just explain what happened in this week's story and, and so on. All right. Thank you very much to, for listening. And uh, until next time, bye-bye.